0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by WiseTail. Ever wonder how winning brands like Shake Shack, Chopped, and Torchy's Tacos scale their business and train employees, all while delivering an exceptional customer experience? They do it with WiseTail. Learn more at wisetail.com.
0: This week on Meet and Three, we have stories about food in large quantities. From bulk buying groups and reasons for stocking up, to creative solutions for handling excess waste. We have someone picking up our corks from the wine bottles and they repurpose them to make buoys for boats and, and, and like shoes and all these different things.
2: Yeah, because of the COVID, uh, everybody like to uh, isolate at home. But uh, to see the people face to
0: face is still exciting. So we kind of treat it like a chance to say hello to the people and to the friend. Listen to Meet and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcast.
3: Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming
0: to you live
3: from New Lab in. Just saying that because you know, I'm doing it from Brooklyn, so I get to say Brooklyn again. Uh, That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Nastasia, the Hammer Lopez, uh, with us today, the last time for a long time in uh, Stanford. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How you doing? Good. Uh, you're gonna you uh, you're going over to the other coast there for uh, you're gonna do the quarantining family potting thing over there, huh?
2: Yeah, it seemed like the right thing to do. It's exciting though, right? Yeah, I'll get do to this. see a different place. Show still, but it'll be get nine to see o'clock. People. Get to see oh. people. Can't
3: wait. Yeah. Well, you want to switch to later? No.
2: Yeah.
3: No. No. I, mean, I you know, for those of you that don't know, Nastasia is up at the at the butt crack at dawn anyway. So, right.
2: so it doesn't matter you? what
3: time she goes to bed. Yeah. With different reasons, though. Like, doesn't matter what time you go to bed, right? You're just like, boom, you're up. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, We have uh, Matt and his Rhode Island Heidi Hole. How you doing? Indeed. I'm doing great. Yeah. And uh, John is also at New Lab, but uh, our membership isn't cool enough to let us get two different rooms. So he is uh, in like a main space. And I didn't go hyper loud on uh, on my intro, and I didn't do the full thing because I don't know how much people can hear me outside of this little box and the box i'm in is like heavy on reverb so i feel like a 50s musician like i feel like um oh boy i feel i'm not gonna do any like 50s style like crooning stuff but i definitely feel like i don't know like i'm in sun records like without the heat and without me being cool that's how i feel in terms of the reverb levels you know what i mean it's like definitely elvis levels of reverb in here
1: um, I mean by the you way, might as well it's gonna make the rest of the show sound bad so you might as well do like some nice singing or something at the top to make use of it
3: well that's the thing I don't know like people can still hear me out here it's just like mega reverb it's like uh, why does reverb make everyone sound better man in terms of singing <laughs> I, don't, I don't know but I thought this is don't they isn't this like audio engineer 101 stuff like what the reverb's for
1: well, like, I but I but I don't know why we perceive it. I mean, I think it just softens things, I guess. So, like, you I don't know, I don't know why everybody prefers it that way. I don't know.
3: Is it when you mess up the tone, it just kind of averages it, or that what? was kind of
1: what that was my instinct was that, yeah, it like helps protect the listener's ears from your bad technique, is my guess. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, I, there's only so much of that stuff I can listen to, the, that, like, 50s, like, heavy, heavy reverb stuff. It's like there's only so much of the stereo tricks from the 70s and 60s that I can tolerate, you know what I mean, when I'm listening in earphones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stas, do, that doesn't bother you, right? The stereo crap doesn't bother you? No, it doesn't. Not at all. Even on headphones? Yeah. Yeah. Like when they're doing that dumb thing where they sit there and they pan back and forth between the, your two ears. You're not like, I don't oh, quit that. it. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, I'm like, quit it! Quit
1: it! You know what I mean? Yes. I'm glad like, you found a way to yell, do extra yelling. You gotta get your money's yeah, well, worth on that room, you know?
3: That's the same way with, uh, like, you know, you listen to Mozart and you get all the, like, too many of those, like, little trilly things and you're like, stop! No? Well, I'm the only guy. It's only me. All right. Uh... I saw someone today, my favorite thing, for those of you that don't know me, I, I I don't like umbrellas. I'm fine with people using umbrellas, but in New York, the umbrella, the big umbrella out when it's not raining is like a, a severe hazard to my eyeballs. Stas, you're, you're with me on this, right?
2: Yes. Especially yeah, yeah. if it's just like sprinkling.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. And also like, for those of you that don't know, like we have laws in New York that, they have to do facade repairs so that people don't die from bricks falling and whatnot. And so like at any one time, there's so much scaffolding up in New York because the old buildings, you have to put scaffolding up to protect the people on the ground while they're doing all of this work on the facades that they need to do that's mandated by law. And the, the end result is there's just a lot of scaffolding around New York and people walking under the scaffolding with umbrellas, man, man, that pits me off. What about you, Stas?
2: Yes, bad, yeah. really
3: bad. So it was raining today in New York, and I'm assuming also in Stanford. Um, yes. But it what, like it kind of stopped raining, and you're in that point where it's not really raining, and all those idiots still have their umbrellas up, right? I don't mm-hmm. know whether Stasi probably knows where I'm going. So I'm sitting here, and I had to drive here because I had to bring a bunch of stuff to New Lab for the new Searsall project that we're working on, which Stas will tell me exactly what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not. And... I walked in, I was driving in, I was in traffic and I saw a big gust of wind and three people at the same time, umbrellas inside out. I was like, yeah, yeah. I love seeing someone's umbrella get turned inside out. Don't you? I don't think I experience it the same way you do. You don't? Not the
2: same way. Not the same way.
3: (laughs) I wish I did. It sounds great.
1: Well, it's
2: like...
3: Uh, Look, listen, I don't want people to think that I'm happy that other people are unhappy. It's just like, you know, when you see somebody... I don't know. And they're doing something that you know that if you were walking next to them, you would get poked in the eye or they would drip some crap on your head, even though you just have a hood on. So you're not taking up any more physical space yeah. on these New York City sidewalks Then you absolutely have to take. And you're, Excuse me. I'm oh, sorry. And they're sitting there with this giant umbrella. And when a big gust of wind comes, it goes pow and knocks it inside out. You're like, all right. no.
1: Yeah, no, it makes sense in the context of New York City, where umbrellas like should just
3: be illegal because uh, they're too dangerous. <laughs> it makes yeah. sense. It's the thing. It's like, like, look. I'll say this also about New York City. So, like, um, biking in New York City during the Corona time has been relatively joyous. Now, I don't have you know my real bike, so I am riding city bikes, which are you know kind of a nightmare. But like, the people who are in New York have been by and large like New Yorkers or people who are used to driving in New York, and the bike traffic has actually been lower than it is normally. So biking has been relatively stress-free. And now it is true, and I've mentioned this, uh, you know, part of biking in New York is to get some of your frustration out because you have to kind of be on point all the time because people are trying to kill you and you have to worry about pedestrians stepping out in front of you and blah, blah, blah. But I like I'm getting a little remember last week, I couldn't figure out anything good to do in New York. Yes. Yeah. Well, I still haven't. Don't worry about that. But but my point is that uh, my point is that I feel that more people are coming back into New York because we have a lot more amateurs on the street than we used to. Because the like, uh, like a couple of days ago, I was out on the bike and I haven't been almost killed by a car for like months right and two times in one ride i had people like zooming around taking the left and trying to kill me you know what i'm talking about Mm
1: -hmm.
3: yeah and i part of it is because the um part of it is because now that we have all of the street dining it's still kind of ad hoc and so people are double parking in the place where the left turn lanes are supposed to be and so then people are just zipping around the left turn and driving through a bike lane and, and trying to kill you but uh anyway so that's my sign that New York is uh New York is coming back that I almost got I'm I'm much more likely to get killed on my bicycle now so that's it's good news right <laughs> things are looking up yeah things are looking up you know uh all right so uh let me get to uh the questions um, so we're working on a lot of new stuff for you guys. When I say a lot of new stuff, like two 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 and a half new things in terms of Booker Index. And so uh, John and I were sitting here. We had to take our machine shop course. So we're a little bit, you know, right, John? We're a little bit behind in terms of getting ready for the show because we were uh, learning how to program the local CNC machine, uh, which was, was fun. John, did you have a good time doing that?
1: Yeah, definitely need more practice with it, but excited to be able to use that machine.
3: Yeah. So I will say this, and we can talk about this. So, uh, as you all know, the Spinsall, the culinary centrifuge, is a- a- out of stock uh, because the factory won't uh, hasn't you know agreed to make them yet. So we're trying to do it, but John and Nastassia and I are working on a, a new way that we don't have to have that uh solenoid interlock system because that's one of the things that people kept on breaking so one of the exciting things is we're going to try to get rid of that on the on the next go around for those of you that don't know what i'm talking about ignore and also uh if you've had a problem with a spin where the lights flash because it goes into imbalance mode uh, we're fixing that too so if this doesn't mean anything to you eh, ignore it right john
0: yeah and if you're
1: bearing breaks in your lid hopefully we will make it replaceable
3: yeah 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 we're gonna try to we're trying to fix all of the stuff that like could have gone wrong in a generation one unit now that we've had this big pause where the factory basically forgot how to make them and they're learning from scratch we're trying to use that to our advantage to try to change some of the things that we didn't uh we didn't enjoy now one of the vagaries of building things is that uh you know there's things that they won't change like the t- the way that this works is that when you say you're going to make something at a factory they do a uh, what's called make a tool for injection molding and it's a big hunk of i believe aluminum for us big hunk of it and that's all machined out so like to change something in the tooling, if you need to do something minor, it's not a problem. But if you need to actually throw away that that big tool and make a new one, that's a complete nightmare. Right, Stas? Huge nightmare. Yes. Huge. Huge. You would not believe what kind of a nightmare that is. Uh, we're not allowed to talk about the other stuff, right, Stas?
2: No. All
3: right. Soon, though. Yep. We might have something to talk about as it gets closer to the Thanksgiving time. We'll know in like a week or two, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All uh, right. And, we're, and by the way, John, you don't know this. We haven't mentioned this, but uh, we're going to make your life a living hell. Oh, swell. Right? Right, well, right.
2: Not like it is now, you know, which is all peachy right well, now. No, but we're adding mm-hmm.
3: another layer. We add another layer. It's another layer of hell. It's like, remember, there's seven circles, and we're uh-huh. nowhere near Judas getting his leg chewed off in, in the pit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're nowhere near there. Like, I would say that right now, we're not, like, at that... You guys read Dante's Inferno ever? Oh, wow. No. Well, you know how, like, the first level of hell is not really hell. It's just kind of, like, where all the Greeks hang out because they, you know, they didn't have bapti- baptism, so Christ couldn't have saved them. But they're not really in hell. They're just kind of chilling in the Elysian Fields era, uh, area. You familiar with this? Uh-huh. I would say that John, in terms of Booker and Dax... John isn't quite that high up. He's not like at that kind of like, you know, like he's not chilling with Plato and Socrates up there in the Elysian fields, but he's definitely nowhere near Judas getting his leg chewed off all the time. Nowhere near. So, yeah, you know, you got a good number of pits to descend to, John. That's that's so great. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. So uh, I'm a little disappointed in the Cooking Issues crew because Serena wrote in uh, last week on email and said, do I have any recommendations for the Dallas-Fort Worth era, uh, uh, area because she's moving there? And we have not heard anything from you guys. And I'm sure that there is someone who is hearing us who has been to Dallas-Fort Worth and gone out to a good uh, bar and or restaurant in Dallas. Does... does uh, do Chad and Christy still have a bar open in, in, uh, in, in Dallas? They, they did. I haven't spoken to them in a while. If their place is still open, anything Chad, uh, Chad and Christy do is uh, great. So check that out. But uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, all right. Also, uh, Matt Collins wrote in last week uh, asking about uses for dried camel milk. And uh, I'm, I apologize, Matt. I have not come up with any good uses for camel milk, but I did go to a website that was pushing uh, camel milk. They didn't have any compelling reasons why you should want camel milk. They're like, it's milk and it's from a camel. What more do you want to know? And I'm like, well, they're like, it tastes like milk, but like from a camel. I'm like, well, that's not really helpful. I've had camel milk cheese, it was uh, fine. Right? Would, have any of you guys had any camel milk
0: products?
1: Camel's milk cheese once, but I think that's about it.
3: And what was your memory of it?
1: Uh, I was okay. I mean, I'm glad Fine. I tried it, but I don't know if I'd get it again, yeah.
3: But I don't, yeah, I had the same th- uh, thing with it. I would try it again. I mean, I would eat it. Like, pretty much most cheeses, if someone puts them out. You know what the one cheese that I've never gotten my, it's not even really cheese, the one cheese I've never learned to really, really enjoy? Yay toast. Don't, just don't love it. You guys familiar with the yay toast? No. No. Nope. It's that. So like I had a I had a, a a trauma with it when I was a child. So it's you know a Scandinavian uh, uh, whey based whey based cheese where um, you make the whey based block. I believe it's whey based, and then you cook the whole thing until it goes brown all the way through. It becomes sweet. And it's brown all the way through, and you slice it off in, like, these, like... You're supposed to, I think, chip it off and then, like, heat it on things, like, in these kind of thin slices. So when I was a kid in the 70s, like, any cheese that was that color was a smoked cheese. So, like, you know, like, when I was a kid it's like you had real cheeses and then you just had that whole section of the quote unquote cheese area at wherever you were buying them, where it was all of those, the equivalent of smoked Gouda. You guys know what I'm talking about? That like that color, that smoke, you know what I'm talking about? Or no, no. Yeah. All right. So like for maybe for you, Nastasia, like a, a smoked scamorza, like that color, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, okay. it's got, it's got like a pellicle on the outside. It's smoked colored. This is what Yatos looks like. So, I buy it, or I have my mom buy it because whatever. I'm seven or eight, and and we bring it home. I'm all excited because I think I'm having some sort of like weird Scandinavian smoked thing. And then when we slice in to get a big piece, I realize that's not a skin. It's that color all the way through. And then I take a bite of it, and it's like real dense and like kind of real dense and fudgy. And I was just like. This is not cheese. I hate this. this. This is the worst. I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. And then I have not been able to – I should now as an almost 50-year-old man like just go on a yay Toast, which I think how you pronounce it, G-J, whatever, however you pronounce that. I, I need to go on like a, a, a thing where I'm like I, – I need to like learn to love it. I've tried that with – the only other thing – Melons, obviously, I don't like except for watermelon. But that, you know, is just me. I haven't been able to get myself to like natto. Have any of you been able to get yourself to like natto? No. And you had already left Japan on that. Were you, you Were you there for the breakfast when they made me the natto, which I actually enjoyed because basically you couldn't taste the natto as all the other stuff was so delicious? Or no. had you already left Japan? I had already you know. left. Yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. I don't know. So camel's milk cheese was not like that. If it was in front of me, I would eat it. Is there any cheese that you guys wouldn't eat? I don't like blue cheeses. Any blue cheese? No. Hmm. Okay. John?
1: I can't think of anything. I mean, again, like, not a huge fan of the camel's milk cheese, but, I you know, like, I'm not going to seek it out again. The first put in front of me, I'd probably eat it.
3: Yeah. Matt? Uh, I
1: also don't really do the blue, the moldy cheese, the blue cheese,
3: but, you know. Yeah. And that's any of those blue cheeses.
1: Uh, I mean, I'll try them, but I just – I don't actually, like, go for it. Also, Chef Joanna, what is she saying in the chat? Something about live maggot cheese. Where'd that window go? Uh, Oh, I've never had that. I've
3: I've never had that, but uh, my – my the only person I know who has actually had it is dead. It's my stepfather's, (laughs) you know, father, you know. um, Yeah. You
1: made made it
3: sound like those things were connected. (laughs) No, 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 no. they're not connected, but I'll never forget, like, you know, when he, so, you know, when he went back to, uh, he went to tour Italy uh, sometime in the 80s, um, because he had actually never been there, which is strange. He went back to the town where his family was from and all this other stuff, you know, where his dad was born. And, uh, and someone there broke open uh, the big cheese and there was the maggots and he was like, yeah. And they just took the bread and they were like, "Pop, pop, 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 pop." And they, they picked it all up and they, and they ate it. And he would t- he would say that like constantly. And so like, it always stuck in my head, even as a kid, that there was this thing that existed, but I've never, I've never had it. I mean, I would find it difficult to enjoy it. I mean, I would have to try it, but I would find it difficult to enjoy it. Um, what about you guys?
1: I think I could do it. I don't know, I've had a bunch I of don't other...
2: know if I could do it. Some
1: money you make would yourself have to be uh,
3: on the line. I mean, for me, like, to do this. I don't know. Like the other one that's weird is there is a there is a cheese that comes from right near the um, Austrian uh, Italian border uh, where they take that's a, a, something similar to quark, which is a soft cheese, and then they just incubate it with cheese mites. And then it isn't like a mimolette where there's like a hefty mite layer. It's mites all the way through. It's just mites, cheese mites only, only cheese mites. Uh, I forget the name of it, uh, but uh, I would eat that before I would. I, I would take a big old bite of cheese mite cheese because I eat cheese mites constantly. You know what I mean? Like, I, like cheese mite doesn't bother me. But it's like uh, I would probably like in in order. I would do the cheese mite cheese way before I would, you know, with gusto pound a you know a whole bunch of the maggoty cheese. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah
1: also i missed i missed what this was in response to but 91 alex is in the chat saying norwegian here you are definitely not supposed to heat brunost or but that's how you pronounce it i have no idea how to what pronounce. are you supposed I... to do
3: with it ask him what the hell what? you're supposed to do with it how do i learn how to like this stuff help me alex, out what are you, what, are we, what are we supposed to do with this all right. So we'll wait for him to get back and then I will. Uh, the reason I was going, the reason this was a good segue from uh, Chef Joanna with the with the uh, maggot cheese, is on the blue cheese. I know Nastasia hates conceptually. I won't yeah. even say the S word. Mold, mold in general, right? Is is it part of that, or is it the taste, or both?
2: It's the taste. It's more the taste. All right.
3: Yeah. Same. All right, right, right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Because you don't mind. You don't mind, like, a, a, a moldy layer on the outside of your salumi, right? So was, right. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Uh, all right, cool. And I can't ask Matt that because uh, he doesn't eat salumi. I uh, do not. Yeah. Although, when, when did it become that we, as a group of people here, would use the word salumi instead of what I grew up with was cold cuts? You going to get a cold cup platter? Yeah, I'm going to get a cold cut platter. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. Uh, uh,
1: okay, wait. We got two. We got two uh, people from Scandinavian countries weighing in here. All right, uh, give it to me. In Sweden, we use brunost slash mesost as a spread on sandwiches, and then ninety-one Alex comes back with uh i'm sorry i'm so sorry about all this pronunciation uh guy gay toast, guy toast just means goat cheese brunost brown cheese is what it's called i don't like it myself but people he, just put it on their bread with butter and often some sort of jelly like strawberry or raspberry
3: yeah it's just not for me that's also like are, are you guys cream cheese and jelly people
1: no mm,
2: yeah it's
3: okay oh. Yeah, I've I mean, I can that. eat it. I can eat it, but I'm never like, you know, what I really want to do. I want to get a bagel and cream cheese and some jelly. It's like I also don't eat cinnamon raisin bagels. I mean, I will eat a cinnamon raisin bagel. I'm not saying that I find it repellent, but but you know, like a, I I have not had a cinnamon raisin bagel in probably 20 years. You guys. Are you sweet baby? My wife beefing? gets
1: like egg and cheese sandwiches on cinnamon raisin bagel and I just think that's scandalous. That's perverse. Yeah. That's right? perverse. If I
3: had known it before we got married, I mean, it would have been a that's a that's over. Yeah. No. Egg and cheese on cinnamon raisin, huh? Hey, look, to each their own. The one thing I'm learning is is that, you know, there's a in, in life there's a lot of different opinions out there. What do you think about uh, cinnamon raisin egg and cheese, does? I can do it. Yeah? Would you enjoy it or would you just be able to do it? I'd enjoy it. All
2: right. All right.
3: And do you like a cinnamon raisin bagel in in general? Yeah. Yeah. Now, a cinnamon raisin bagel, here's the thing. So, like, is there a difference with a cinnamon raisin bagel over what kind of style you like? Styles. you're more of a puffy bagel person, right? Yeah. Not a hard, yeah. So I think, like, if you're a puffy bagel person, I think you're more likely to like a cinnamon raisin bagel because I think a cinnamon raisin bagel probably shows better in a puffy bagel style. Yeah. It's, a, it's a guess. Uh, all right. So, by the way, I haven't heard anything that's going to make me run out and get this brown cheese. And like, because like none of that stuff is stuff that I would normally do. I guess you also have to slice it real thin. Someone's got to get, get back to me on the brown cheese thing. Of some reason why we should, uh, we should be doing it. All right. Uh, now, uh, Brian Cotty wrote in. Uh, Cotty? Isn't it Brian Crotty? I don't remember Did you get that off the email right? Anyway. Uh, Hey, Dave and the crew love the show. Looking to make chewing gum with juniper flavor. My goal is to eventually make a gin and tonic gum inspired by the three-course dinner gum from Willy Wonka. Well, if it's inspired by the three-course dinner, you got to have three different cocktails in it. Three different cocktails. can't do one, right? And I don't know whether anyone has yet figured out they haven't like because otherwise someone would have done this already right like a, a clean flavor release whereby like the first 10 chews you, you cleared one flavor through and then only then the rest became soluble no one no one's figured that out but that would be kind of cool you would you would do that i mean if we could make that we already would have made that right nastasia
2: right yes
3: yeah so anyway so we're, we're on the gin and tonic uh, thing not not three courses but i get it inspired by because it's a great movie who do i know that doesn't like that movie there's someone I know it's not one of us right I don't have to cut any of you guys off right (laughs) no it's not me I didn't do it I'm just saying like if you don't like the original Willy Wonka like you don't like Gene Wilder you don't like I don't what I don't understand how not to like it there is someone I know maybe someone in my family who doesn't like it and I just don't understand it someone give me a plausible reason why you would not like that movie
1: are too scary.
3: Okay, okay. I mean, I'm sure there is a plausible reason because someone who's close to me—I can't remember who it is—doesn't like it. But whatever, uh, I'll figure it out eventually. Okay. The ingredients for five gum. Is five gum a brand of gum that you guys are familiar with? Don't know. No. Think
2: so.
3: Uh-uh. No. All right. Me neither. Uh, the ingredients for five gum are sorbitol, gum base, glycerol. What? No, I
1: I recognize the brand. I recognize the packaging. It's in like a lot of gas stations. Yeah, it's pretty
3: popular. Gas station gum? Yeah. Is that that, uh, that, uh, John's uh, subtle put down? Gas station gum. No, I mean, well, do you buy gum. I mean, I don't don't know. Bodega? Bodega? Yeah. Oh, speaking of bodegas, uh, uh, we'll get back to it. Uh, Bodegas are the gas
1: stations of the city
3: it's a gas station that's oh, dude i don't agree because you have a personal relationship with your bodega you don't have a personal relationship i don't think with your gas station unless you're unless it's freaking gomer Pyle and it's like freaking andy griffiths but who lives like that i mean when i when i used to live in a gas station it's like i mean sorry when i used to live in a, in the suburbs. It's been so many years since I've lived in the suburbs that I can't even remember what, how, how to speak about it. But it's like, you, you go to the gas station. I self-serve anyway because I'm cheap and I don't live in New Jersey. And uh, because also I don't want to deal with humans. Do you want to deal with a human being, Nastasia, when you're getting your gas? Uh, pumping it? No. No, Nah. nah. Why? Because do do you not trust – like a little bit of me doesn't want them to like sit there and go shoop, 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 shoop at the end. You know what I'm saying?
1: (laughs) The only time I've ever felt in danger while having gas put in my car was at one of those uh, New Jersey pumps because I – like taking me out of the equation, I forgot to turn the engine off, and this guy just starts filling my car up. It's like They don't care. Uh, I Look, mean, I, the real- I would never do that to myself. It was way less, and they, they claim safety
3: is part of the reason for doing this. It's insane. Okay, listen. I want someone to call me out on this and tell me, like, you know, Zoolander aside, which has the best gasoline fight, like, uh, ever in it, and like, you know, one of the classics of movies is the gasoline fight from Zoolander. But I mean, here's the real, in the real life, right? You pull up to your, to the gas pump, right? And there's a gas pump right on the other side of you. And there's a gas pump right behind you, right? And you're sitting there pumping gas and person drives up right behind you and sticks their motor right in your butt while you're pumping gas and you don't blow up. Am I right? I mean, there's other people with running motors everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, and not only that, but like they let you, which is crazy, like pump gas into a bucket. Right? You could take your the thing, stick it into a bucket, and pump gas into it, right? So it's like, I get like not smoking when you're doing that, because have you ever you ever lit a gas fire, Matt? No. Okay. When you're lighting a gas fire, like, and they, all the time in the movies, I think they get this wrong. Like, they dump gas all over somebody or something, and then they sit there talking about how they're going to light that person on fire or thing on fire for a long time. There's conversations, and, like, you know, and then, you know, you see the person throw the match, and it's like, no! And then they try to put out the match right before it hits the person. Yeah, yeah, no. Here's what gas does: gas vaporizes and makes a giant explosive cloud around whatever it's poured on. So if you dump gas on the ground or on your enemy or whatever, and sit around like shooting the breeze for a while before you decide to light a match, you're gonna get a big old fireball like of uh, fire in, in you know in your face, right? So it's like open containers of gas. Or like big spills of gas on the ground are like soup dupe dangerous. You know what I'm saying? But at a gas station, like have you ever seen that happen? No. On movies? No. Well, in Zoolander. And it, again, it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, and you should not smoke near, uh, obviously, near a gas station. But uh, how do we get on the gas station? Oh, we're talking about knowing your gas station uh, person. Anyway, I feel like you don't know them like you know your bodega. That's all. Anyway, and the only person I know, uh, so like I, I know that there are whole cultures in the United States and elsewhere where it's like your gas station also has like the good barbecue or the good whatever, but it's like up here where, you know, in the Northeast, if you come from one of those places where a gas station maybe is known for having good food, not here, okay? Like up here in the Northeast, the gas station doesn't have good food. So, like one of the things that we used to like to make fun of, uh, you know, Peter Kim about, you know, uh, you know, director emeritus uh, of the uh, Museum of Food and Drink, and you know, f- friend of ours, friend of the show, was that he would go into a gas station and buy a moldy egg salad sandwich. Who buys an egg salad sandwich at a at a at a, at a gas station? Notices it's moldy and eats it anyway. Remember that, Stas?
2: That's <laughs> not true. He took the mold off and then put it in the tray that it came in. And then he ate the sandwich, and then he looked down, saw there's still a piece. He ate that, and he was like, oh, crap, I ate the mold. That's how it happened.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like he was like, Well, mm. I mean, like, I think it's a pretty aggressive move to buy the egg salad sandwich at a gas station, yes. first of all. Like... It, you, know, you know, he claims it was his uh, years in the Peace Corps that makes him immune to any sort of stuff. Although, uh, I don't care how much Peace Corps you did, Aflatoxin is Aflatoxin all day long. And you're like, you know, yeah, he's powered through that sandwich and was, and the thing is, is that remember he tried to make us feel bad for thinking it was kind of crazy, right? Yeah. That was a great trip for you, Nastasia. Great that was the best trip ever because that was the egg salad, that was the bathroom incident. Yep, which we which we won't go through again mm-hmm. and it was also when Peter insulted that whole uh, town. It was incredibly mean to that uh, to that poor student. Anyway, yep. it was like the it was the that was the best work day of your of your life maybe. <laughs> yes, maybe.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisetail. Ever wonder how winning brands like Shake Shack, Chopped, and Torchy's Tacos scale their business and train employees, all while delivering an exceptional customer experience? They do it with Wisetail. Wisetail is a state-of-the-art learning management system built to engage and empower your workforce. With a modern user interface and intuitive course-authoring capabilities, Wisetail has helped hundreds of businesses achieve their growth goals. Plus, Wisetail has experts on call to help you bring your vision to life with their world-class client success team. Come see how Wisetail's award-winning training platform can go to work for you. As a special offer, HRN listeners are eligible for their first month free. Learn more at wisetail.com slash HRN. That's wisetail.com slash HRN. W-I-S-E-T-A-I-L dot slash HRN. Terms and conditions apply. Visit their website for more details.
3: Uh, all right, we're back on the gum. So sorbitol, gum base, glycerol, mannitol, natural and artificial flavors, and then less than 2% of hydrogenated starch hydrolysate, which I didn't get a chance to look up, sorry. Uh, aspartame, you know what that is. Uh, as uh, Asulfame K, which is, those b- are both artificial sweeteners, which you won't have to deal with if you don't want to use artificial sweeteners. Um, soy lecithin. And uh, BHT to maintain freshness. Colors, blue number one, uh, lake blue number red 40. All right. I see some sugar alcohols, but I don't know what gum base is or how how to source it. All right. Uh, I'm going to answer this first. Go to modernistpantry.com and just buy the gum base. Uh, they used to sell it. I'm sure they still do. If not, I think Chef Rubber sells it. In the old days, um, it used to be natural. So it's from chicle. So the, the the plant, chicle, which is also makes a fruit, which is I think one of the sapodillas, but I'm not sure, or sapotes, one of those things is a chicle tree you score it the resin comes out uh and they make original chicle it was from that and from chi- the word chicle comes chiclet and so uh you know you know chiclets which do you guys use chiclets as a gum or, or is that just a childhood thing, uh, childhood thing childhood. for me yeah what'd you say childhood, childhood. Childhood. All right. Uh, It's kind of an unfortunate shape, right? I mean, it's like it's never enough. Like you can't just eat one. Like one chiclet isn't enough to like freshen you or do anything. It's like you kind of like I'm a bigger fan of the strip shape of gum. You guys?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So anyways. So, the original person, who I believe was from around here somewhere, is like some sort of... I'm getting a kind of a Brooklyn mental vibe out of this person, but I can't say for certain because I didn't look up the history before I came on the show. So, it was one of those situations where literally dude had a huge vat of this, uh, this chicle, like latex resin that he... Not latex, but you know, resin stuff, chicle that he had, and he's like, what the hell am I going to do with this? One of those kind of a situations, and he added flavor to it and sugar and was like, oh... Now people could chew on this. And there's a long, long history of people chewing on tree exudates. For instance, uh, the sweet gum, liquid ambar styrakafula, makes something you can chew on. You can chew on uh, chios mastica, which is the the resin, uh, gum mastic uh, resin. You can chew on that. And because that stuff, because the resin is not water-soluble, whatever flavors in it that is water-soluble will get slowly released into your mouth, and then the resin, you just keep chewing on it until you get sick of it or until you get a headache. Is there anything worse than not being able to spit out gum because of where you are, and then you get that headache from over-chewing? You guys know what I'm talking about?
2: No. No. Never that
1: much the flavor is
3: as, As soon as the flavor is gone in the gum... And Harold I mean, McGee has a lot to say when he comes on. Harold McGee's coming on in November when his book comes out, by the way. He, he agreed to that, he's I guess.
2: coming next Tuesday.
3: Oh, is he? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to I have him on it. whenever. I thought I thought he was going to wait until the book came out, but no, I think whatever. I mean, I'm happy to have him on anyway, but we could talk to him. So one of his favorite stories is that there was a guy who uh, was a kid during World War II and noticed that, and, and gum was constantly running out. So what he noticed was, you know, because it was they didn't have it, is that if you took the gum and you chewed it until the flavor was gone, and then you added a little bit of sugar to the gum, the flavor, the mint flavor, would come back. And it's all about the way your mind integrates flavors that are already there so like once the sweetness is gone and you've already had the mint flavor in your mouth for a while assuming it's mint gum you're, you can no longer perceive the mint even though it's there and if you hit it with a little bit of sugar your mind reintegrates the mint and the mint pops up which is one of you know it's, it's one of the stories that um you know harold always like to used to tell it at the classes when we would teach him. anyway ha. so uh so now the gum base that you buy now is not typically from Chiclay. It's synthetic, and I don't know what they make it out of, but everyone buys the same one. And then you just get your flavorings, and you don't have to use, uh, you know, aspartame and all that. You can use, you know, sugar. And then you uh, you basically heat it in a microwave, and it, and it melts. And then you stir in all of your stuff, and if it gets too... Uh, uh, cold, you just nuke it for a second again and then you roll it out uh like a dough. And so, you know, then you can dust in, in between with like cornstarch powdered sugar or something like this. Uh and then you roll it out. And then when it gets cold, you cut it into gum strip shapes, and then there you go. It's it's easy peasy. And like I say, last time I checked Monitor's Pantry sold the gum base. And if not, Chef Rubber probably sells it. Um, is that uh, and the rest of the stuff you don't need to worry about you know if you want to add coloring add coloring to it you know do you do you um that answer the question guys or no yep yeah all right um my earphones are strangely running up okay you guys still hear me or no yep yep all right and we have someone, oh, from Pittsburgh, because I know because they, uh, they went in with the yins. I've never met an actual, I know some people from Pittsburgh, but I've never met someone who is an actual yins person. Have you guys actually met a yins person?
2: I know what that is.
3: So, like, you know how, like, in, like, some parts in New York, New Jersey, Staten Island, whatever, you use, you use guys? Oh, okay, yeah. Pittsburgh yins. Oh. It's like a thing. And so, like, if you're from there, you know. Uh, But if you don't, you know, if you don't, you... Do you know what? Uh, Anyway, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. Uh, How are you doing? It's been a while. What's the deal with chamber stoves? Uh, My wife and sister-in-law both claim they are wonderful things uh, and that they should get them and it is worth the many thousands of dollars and will cook things so well. I feel like if they were so great, I would have heard of them sometime in the last 41 years. I would have seen them in one of the thousands of houses I've been in over the years. I figure they must be terrible. Tell me who's right. Thanks, Zach from Pittsburgh. Well, Zach, I... Uh, I have to say I enjoy the way you pose that question yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I I like uh, I love I do this all the time and I think it always you know if, if you want a particular answer it always helps to shade it in the direction you want to go right this is like another thing I've always said like when you're doing um, Like the big difference between doing food demonstrations and actually serving people food like in a restaurant situation is that in a food demonstration, I get to tell them that they're going to like it beforehand. And so it makes it a lot easier to kind of go outside of people's comfort zones. Uh, Anyway, uh, and also like uh, Riedel, you know, is is it Riedel or Riedel? It's Riedel, right? The glassware people. It's Riedel actually because it's R. It's I.E. Anyway, so – I was at a, a seminar once given by uh, I think he's dead now, but like the 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 elder was the elder in, in the Riedel family, and he gave this amazing demo about because I, I don't know if they do they still push Riedel glasses based on the individual shape makes the individual wines taste better. I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, that that yeah. was the yeah. shtick, and and you know, and for a long time, and maybe still for all I know, I haven't been glass shopping in a long time. People still kind of like. They still sell them this way. Was that you needed to have like, an, like a huge number of different glasses in your house because each individual glass was tailored to each kind of wine? And Riedel came out also with a bunch of spirits-based glasses where they did the, the same thing. And I went to a presentation that Riedel did. And by the way, I like Riedel glassware. It's, it's good. I, I have it in my house. I use it. Right? I, I don't have a billion that. different. Well, well, because my name is Nastasia and I have my monocle. You need to get us the monocles. We're going to do the monocles, and you never did. The Zalto I'm is definitely the, a monocle move. Zal, it, was a is it was a gift. The Zalto is definitely a gift. It was a gift. It was a gift. Oh, nice. Are you taking those to California with you? Are you going to use like uh, uh, no, jelly jars when you go storage. out there? Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I use Zalto's. I would, not, I would not be near. By the way, Riedel has a more expensive line of hand-blown stuff. And I think I said this on the air. The guy I, I once interviewed, The Sun, this is like, Twenty years ago, I interviewed the son, who's probably now running the company, and he took two of their more expensive hand-blown glasses and he clinked them together. And he goes, "That is the sound of money." And then he just stepped away. And I was like, mm, right, "I'm gonna use that someday. I don't know for what, because everything we have is like the sound of the sound of despair, right? Everything we clink together, Stas, is like that's the sound of nothing much happening, right?"
2: <laughs> Ever spins all breaking.
3: That's the sound of the spins all breaking. It's fine. <laughs> um anyways, so where was I on this? Oh so yeah, so the, the, <laughs> the Elder stones. Riedel, like the, oh, the Elder no. Riedel okay. had this had this thing where he would walk you through the different glasses. So there was all these glasses there that you know he had, and he would walk you through tasting it, and like at the end you literally believed you could only drink bourbon out of the bourbon glass and you could only drink scotch whiskey out of the scotch whiskey glass and that if you did anything else you would be insulting the spirit you know what i mean he was a genius at getting you to go where so i have no idea whether or not anything he's saying was actually true just because he was so good at getting people to know what was going to happen now back to the chamber sho- uh, stove i have never used a chamber stove i have never seen a chamber stove and i had to google what it was as did john right Yep. Yeah. So I, for those of you that don't know, Chambers was a stove. They had a patent a long time ago in, I think, the teens or 20s of the last century. And um, the the main shtick. and they were manufactured almost continuously up until the 1980s. They then went out of business. Someone tried to resurrect them again in the early 2000s, and then I believe they were resurrected again in 2015. This is all according to the Wikipedia. But the shtick, the shtick of the chambers was that it was extremely well insulated. So I'll say this. In general, there are two main strategies for how to operate. One is you build, you get a huge huge thermal mass and then you just take a lot of energy and you heat it up and then that leaks energy out constantly and you keep adding energy and that's how you make everything stay at a nice constant rock solid temperature right so uh most big like kitchen stoves, like a Multani or a Bonnet or, you know, anyone like that. What's the other, like Heston, right? It's just huge chunks of metal. They throw a whole bunch of gas into it and it's just hot as hell, right? That's how like French tops work, which you might call a flat top or whatever. What do you like, John? You like French top, flat top? What do you call it? Flat top?
0: I've call, always called it French top, but it's silly. Yeah. All right,
3: whatever. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Anyway, so... The chambers was a little bit different. The chambers had extra insulation in it. And their idea was is that the fire was... Uh, also, uh, the fire, I think, was not exposed, which was kind of new for that time. So I don't know how many people still have a gas stove with gas where you can see the gas running. I used to have one. I found an old uh, for maybe like five, six years, I used an oven that I'd found on the street on 38th street that someone had kind of thrown out and it was from the like thirties and it was all enameled. It was kind of beautiful. They had knocked the legs off. So I had it on bricks. Talk about unsafe, right? It had no thermostat. So you would just sit there and adjust the gas level inside like you would for a range for the oven. It was kind of hardcore. So the chambers oven goes back to when that's how people were operating their ovens. So it had a thermostat in it. Ooh, right. And then they would turn the gas on in it. I believe in a separate box, heat the oven up. And then when the gas turned off, they would close the damper so it wouldn't lose heat. So it was all about keeping the heat inside the uh, oven. Uh, so presumably, I guess it would use less gas and it would also uh, insulate better Um, so they wouldn't get your kitchen as hot. They then had a bunch of other, uh, things they added like wells that you could cook soup in without having a lot of, uh, energy escape. They also, all of them had griddle tops or flat tops, uh, that you could use, which I actually, I love, a, I love a griddle top. I know a lot of people don't like necessarily having a griddle top, but if you do a lot of that kind of cooking, griddle top is nice. Nice. Um, anyway, and they had a lot of kind of cool features that made them kind of cool. And I think they became cool again recently because I think Rachel Ray, it said on the Wikipedia, like uses one and loves it. So I don't really know why you would want one now as opposed to a thoroughly modern unit, but, um, people seem to like them. They, they look nice. I've never used one. Is that a decent answer? Is that okay?
1: Digital audio tapes in the chat and said, I used a chamber stove for a bit. The extra insulation helped with making pizza.
3: Oh, because you could get it hotter?
1: I I believe that was the implication.
3: So what I used to do there is just bypass the thermostat. And if you, like, don't do this. Please don't do this. (laughs) But uh, you bypass your thermostat and turn it back into a straight pipe oven machine again. And the problem with this is, is that it's easy to go overboard. So, like, I got in big trouble because I scorched one of my cabinets because... Uh, I mean nothing's going to happen to the oven. The oven's going to get up to, you know, 800 degrees no problem. But um again, I don't know how high one of these chambers can can go. But that's it's a good point that I don't know though. Like if you're going to do just that though, maybe maybe like I would I would get a normal oven and then spend the extra several thousands of dollars on getting like, you know, a pizza oven that you could have in addition, you know what I mean? mm mm-hmm. Mhm just saying the other thing is is that the chambers like most newer ovens what's if you are going to get a new oven anytime in the next like 10 15 years like it's better have like you know um like a super convection look i hate the term air fry i know i've said this before i hate air fry but the actual function where they have a much faster convection is great right and if also like a steam injection like anything that's going to allow you to do steam injection or to have anything that approaches like an impingement oven or a fast air convection like that's the future for sure you know what i mean whether quartz is the future i don't know but like that's definitely the future for sure and also i think more and more people are gonna kinda have their big oven that they use for standard stuff, and then they're gonna get the whatever the current equivalent of like, you know, a Breville Smart is. Cause it just, they're not that big, they don't heat up your kitchen that much, and because they're small, it's kinda easier for them to get up to those like temperatures quickly and kinda stay there, so they take a lot less energy and a lot more efficient. I have to be honest, I do, I do. 80 to 90 uh, well in the summer 100% but like even the rest of the time most of the time I don't crank up the big oven unless I'm doing sheets of cookies or something big like a like a turkey I mean I'm mainly using a small uh, a smaller thing like uh, uh, like the Breville Smart Air but it's bi- it's big for a toaster oven but it's relatively small um, when you had both what, what, those of you that have both what do, what do you use more often to, uh, toaster oven
2: Toaster oven yeah. yeah
3: I remember a time when the toaster oven was like kind of like a novelty. People didn't really care about the the toaster oven. It wasn't seen as like a legitimate like cooking implement. It was just there for reheating and for toasting and I think over the past 10 years it's really kind of coming into into its own. you know what I mean um, Remember that guy who wanted to uh, turn his regular toaster sideways and and put the pizza in it. Yep. i wonder what happened with that i need to hear back from them on whether their pizza was any good you know what i mean uh stas do you like a regular toaster or do you like a toaster oven when you have them
2: uh i've never owned a toaster oven i like toasters
3: you like toasters yeah what what style of toaster do you are you like do you like a fancy toaster like a dual lit or like any old toaster like a hamilton beach what's your toaster feeling <laughs> No,
2: we just had like an old one at home, like a like an old, old one. So I don't really know. I haven't had one since home.
3: How much do you hate when like someone puts something in the toaster and it sticks into the thing and then you can't get it out and it touches the element and then it, you get you see that one wisp of smoke and you know you're hosed, you know you're ruined at that point because you know you're not going to get it out in time and then you're trying to gouge the thing out while My it's, mom while it's would like use smoking. a fork and I was so scared. You should have been scared. We had this conversation, I believe, when we were talking about the person reheating the pizza. Yeah, that, so that thing's electrically live. It's like the pizza person operations.
1: did not try it.
3: Why do you ask a question if you're not going to try it? Because
2: they wanna want to get red the pizza. They wanna have their get name read on the air, they want to have their name read on the air
3: by next week. I want you. To put a piece... Why am I saying this? Don't put the pizza in the toaster. Dave, shut up. Yeah, shut up. I feel like you are right. trying pretty uh, hard to have him not do this.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Could, I know. I know. He, I he know. Listened. I the can't. reason he didn't do it is because he listened to the show. Oh, hell,
3: oh, I'm such a moron. I'm such a moron. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm sorry. Uh, Peter Ross writes in. John, you're going to have to answer this question. Uh, hi there. I've read that using low ABV... That's alcohol by volume. Low ABV spirits in a spinzall is bad news. Is that true? Um, uh, i never heard that. You heard that, uh, John?
1: I have not heard that either.
3: What would be the reason?
1: I don't know. Maybe high ABV spirits? Can well, you do? Okay.
3: So super high ABV spirits. The problem is, going back to the gas fire portion of the show, is that, um... It becomes a it becomes an issue if you're doing very high alcohol spirits that you're creating an alcohol vapor cloud which can be dangerous, especially if you're a smoker. So, i.e., if you're using it in Europe, I'm just kidding, Europe. Um, but it's like. Uh, so I know I don't recommend high ABV spirits for that reason. And also, if you're using alcohol, you really want to make sure that it's cold, again, so that you're not volatilizing. And also the warmer the alcohol is, the more um, alcohol will evaporate off. So you know one of the main things that you're looking for when you're spinning alcohol in the Spinsall or in any centrifuge, not just our centrifuge, but any centrifuge, is that um, you want to prevent the alcohol from vaporizing because it lowers the ABV. Now, one of the problems you might have for certain techniques in the spinzall is is that um, when you're, let's say you're doing something like a banana justino where you're blending a liquor and a banana or anything really, and you're spinning out the solids, because there's liquid in the banana, you're lowering the proof of the alcohol. Right? And so, what you're doing is you're lowering the stability. So, maybe what people are saying when, about centrifuging low alcohol products is that um, the alcohol level becomes even lower when you add whatever you're adding to it, and therefore it's no longer stable. And that's 100% valid, but you got to remember, we We centrifuge 0% alcohol stuff constantly, and it works great. So it's not going to affect the outcome, but it may be affect the stability. You think maybe that's what they're talking about?
1: Uh, Yeah, hopefully. If not, Peter, email us back or, you know, DM us on Instagram again and we can clarify.
3: Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, uh, Young Cognac wrote in. And I have to say from here on out, I have not actually read the whole question. So we're just going to go blind. This is whatever knowledge I have. Remember when uh, we had Matt from Kitchen Arts and Letters on and I just threw random questions at him and he knew the answer? That was pretty impressive, I thought. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I thought it was impressive. So we'll see whether I can do that to uh, this question or whether or not I it. Also, you got to use the two-minute
1: rule here because we've got to go pretty
3: soon. It's already one right. or something, right? Yeah, but we started late. All right uh i'm trying hard to milk wash with banana ice cream uh it won't adhere what do you mean i'm trying hard to milk wash with a banana ice cream it won't adhere what to do i switch do i switch to banana milk i'm trying to wash this horribly hot rum i get so close it curdles beautifully and then when i go to strain it i'm still left with a milky cloudy result even with coffee filters cheesecloth and a nut milk bag that's my favorite word uh, fifty percent loss, and still far from clear result. And I'm unhappy with it. And it's uh, you know, you know my Wesley Willis. I'm unhappy with it, and it pissed me off. Um, all right. I would guess. I don't know if it curdles beautifully. Um, one thing you can do is, uh, and you got your timer going, Stas. I thought that worked well. We didn't do it this week. Yeah, that's true. Well, because we, we also yeah. didn't
1: get the questions until deep, deep into right. the show, so it's fine. <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs> all right, all right, all right. so like uh, a Go. couple of things one ice cream is stabilized right so one of the problems you might be having is uh, because of the stabilization of it from the locust bean the guar carrageenan gel whatever system they're using in the ice cream uh, that might be causing you problems so banana milk might be better um, the other thing is, obviously, if the banana has any starch, it's, you know, it's going to stay hazy no matter what. But what you're saying is you're getting a very low yield. Not just that it's not clear, but you're getting a very low yield. Um, and so your curds probably uh, aren't uh, hard enough. I would maybe add a little more uh, acidity. And the other thing is is that in, it, 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 I, would, I know that the, the problem with milk washing in general is that um, after you do it, if you're going to use it in a shake and drink, you need to use it within a week, right? So your shelf life is somewhat limited, not in terms of safety, but in terms of how long it's going to foam. If you're not going to use it to foam though, you have a long, long time. Then time is your friend. Then I would break it and I would just put it into a tall, round thing not square because if you use square as soon as you pick it up and turn it it'll kick up stuff and i would just let it sediment for like two days and then just pour the stuff up off the top this should drastically increase your yield and if it's not dropping a lot then i would add wine finding agents to get it to adhere harder and drop more that's what i would that's what i would do is that a good uh, two minute answer guys
2: great yes you
3: still have 30 seconds well, I, I don't have anything else to say now because I already you know? i tried to wrap my head. What? Letting you know? he,
1: bank, he banks that time right. for a future question to be named.
3: This, this, is, like the, this is like the hearings for the, uh, for the Supreme Court. Oh, geez, Louise. Um, oh, by the way, I appreciate this from Alexander. Uh, Alexander uh, tailguard wrote in, and it's it, I would not have pronounced uh, his name right because it's T-E-I... L, I would have said tile guard. So thank, thankfully, wrote in, this is Alexander, uh, tail guard, like the English uh, word tail and then guard. Hope that makes sense. Uh, thanks for your answers last week. And I'm sorry I assumed your hesitation on saying how to make the poker was due to American safety concerns. Uh, I do have a follow-up I hope you can answer. I did receive my cartridge heater. So cartridge heater... So the things that I used to make Red Hot Pokers are a thing called a cartridge heater. They're like kind of round sticks of burning hell. And what they're for in the real life is you – let's say you're making um, a piece of equipment and you have you have to have a block of metal be real hot. You bore a hole into the block of metal and then you tap in one of these cartridge heaters and this like cartridge heater then heats the whole block of metal. That's what they're for. Um, and you get to met- – McMaster Car Supply or other places. Um, okay. Uh, I have my, uh, where is it? I have my cartridge heater and it is stainless steel 321. I'm not concerned about it melting into my drink. Yeah, but what you should be concerned about is that the temperatures you're going to be running it, it's going to oxidize like a mother. Like stainless, the ones I use have, uh, I believe, Inconel uh, sheaths on them. And they don't oxidize nearly as much as the stainless will at that, at that high temperature. Because stainless steel... For any of you that have a Sears All, right? Um, the, the one of the reasons the front thing is Confall, which is a. The rear one's palladium coated, like uh, like uh, 693 super metal, which is amazing. But the, it's amazing metal. I've been running so many tests recently, so this is like right in what I'm thinking about. The front one's Konthal. The reason you can't use stainless there is because at high temperature, stainless um, will oxidize, and once it oxidizes, it basically just vaporizes like a vampire when you stick a when you when you stick a stake through its heart. By the way, you guys seen uh, vampires versus the Bronx? No. So vampires versus the Bronx is uh, centers around this uh, vampires invading the Bronx, and my son Dax was like, "It's like Attack the Block in America, but it's not." I mean, obviously the people who made this have seen Attack the Block, but it's not like Attack the Block. Kid Miro from Jesus and Miro is in there, and he's in a he runs a bodega. This is back to the bodega section of the show, right? And Uh, And this goes back to my son Dax, even though we're from the Lower East Side and we're not from like Harlem or anywhere else like this, right? He's become obsessed with the chopped cheese sandwich, which I know we've talked about on the air, which did not exist when I was a kid, right? And even when in the 90s, when I lived like close to West Harlem, right? When I lived in Morningside Heights, right? It wasn't a thing over there. It was still at that point confined to kind of East Harlem, where it was originated at Haji's uh, Deli, which is, where is that, John? Do you remember?
1: Like one o nine some
3: second, I think, somewhere around there. Yeah, and I never used to go that far over because we were over like one hundred twenty fifth over on the on, way on the west side near the twenty four hour McDonald's. Anyway, so uh, chopped cheese. For those you don't know, you you take your your hamburger meat, you put it on your flat top, uh, you griddle, and uh, you know raw onions and you know whatever spices you you know salt pepper whatever spices you're gonna add. Then you. you also, I think raw onion and sometimes, like, chopped up pepper, whatever. And then you, when you flip it, you put the cheese, it melts it, and then you hash it all, you hack it all together, like, hatch it all together. And you put it on, like, you know, kind of a bodega, like, roll, hero roll. You know what I mean? And you eat it. Anyway, my son Dax is now obsessed with these, even though, again, he's from the Lower East Side. And uh, in the – and this is why you have to become friends with your bodega person because you have to know – you have to become a conducenti of this sort of thing to understand whether your chopped cheese is good or not. And again, I'm not part of the culture, so I don't know what I'm talking about. However, uh, one of the fun – this is almost a comment on – gentrification is like vampires coming into your neighborhood is what uh vampires versus uh the bronx is but one of the ways you know that the neighborhood is quote unquote going to hell that the vampires are showing up is that kid miro of Jesus and miro fame has as a menu item instead of chopped cheese chopped cheese on a croissant so there's that chop cheese on a croissant and that's when you know that it's end times baby that's when you know the vampires have shown up all right, so uh, I'm not concerned about it melting into my drink. It's a 500 watt, 20 millimeter by 100, 20 by 100 millimeter. I can't speak millimeter. What is that, John? Give me that in inches. That's a little, that's three quarters of an inch by, which is about right, by, what's hundred millimeters? It is. It's like four inches?
0: 3.93 inches.
3: It's a little short, so I'm worried that it's going to blow itself up. So about the size you said in your book, it, oh, it works great, and my cocktails ignite. All right, however, I'm not getting much of those caramel notes you describe. having tried your red hot ale and Negroni uh, with a very sweet homemade beer muth. Uh, is my unit not hot enough, or is my taste buds that are failing me? Also a question for Anastasia How did you go from vegan phase to becoming vegetarian? She's told you why, but Nastasia, I'll let you go for it. Um, because
2: the only contact I had with, uh, anything that was alive was dead, uh, animal protein. And I thought that was really sad in the middle of,
3: um, isolation and quarantine. All my protein's dead. <laughs> um, now I have that song going through my head, but with, with your lyrics in it. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, um, Well, I mean, look, I think what you need to do, uh, Alexander, is do this for me. Just run the test where you make one just by boiling water, right? And then do the one with the red hot poker, and that is the difference I'm talking about. Maybe I just described it poorly in my book. But do that. Do the one where you just make it, like, newfangled way by heating up water like a chump on the stove, and then burn one, and hopefully you'll get the difference. And also, like, certain spirits, like change radically when they burn so um like a lot of uh bitters um and things change radically jägermeister burnt is delicious delicious which i only learned because nastasia and i had to do the jimmy fallon show back when he was doing the late late whatever that show was called and um and he liked jägermeister so it happened to be the winter time so we tried burning and it turns out it was delicious by the way nastasia huge fan of as we know uh what's it called what's that show Saturday Night Live, so I don't watch a lot of regular TV, but I started trying to watch Saturday Night Live now. Maybe so, like you know, I can share this information with Nastasia, right? So that we have something that we're doing, right? That we can talk about later. Because it's nice. We don't have a water cooler anymore. I can talk to her about it. Have you noticed, Nastasia? Oh, so the only kind of local commercials I get are yeah. when I watch the Saturday Night Live. Mm. Have you seen? There's a so New York for those of you that live elsewhere, you're probably inundated with political ads right now, right? Because it's election season. But in New York, because all of the elections are pretty much baked in, everybody knows in New York City, the Democrat is going to win whatever it is. There's no real elections here, right? I mean, it's like, it's like, so no one bothers spending advertising money on New York City ever. So we don't get political ads just doesn't happen right? Uh, sometimes we'll get ads that, like we get a lot of ads telling us to donate money to other people's races that are closer, that we, where we can't vote, but they want us to donate money. But we get very few ads actually targeted at us in politics. So it's rare. So, But it turns out there's one race in Staten Island, which is a little island. It's the, it's the borough that's like off the coast of Manhattan, Staten Island. And it's kind of the Republican enclave of New York City. And so the ads for Congress there are the funniest ads I've ever seen in my life. And the Republican there, because it's in New York City, doesn't have any money. So I've only ever seen the ads from the Democrat. Did you see those ads on Saturday Night Live, Saz? Uh, I get Connecticut ones here. But it's got to oh, be Max Rose. It's
1: got to be that guy, right?
3: Yeah, it's Max Rose. Yeah, and so yeah. when I first heard him, I couldn't believe he was the Democrat. So there's this guy who's actually in Congress right now. I don't know anything about his policies, anything. He's a he's a a, a, a vet, I think Iraq, not Afghanistan. I think he's yeah. an Iraq War vet. And I I just have to say, like, Nastasia, you got to look up – you would love this guy's commercials because he's like – is his opponent Wendy Malinakis or something I'm going to call her Nicole Wendy Malinakis Maliatakis. N- Nicole Malinakis that's it Nicole Mali- he's like Nicole Malliotakis is a freaking piece of yeah. You know, she's like, he's like she's like a piece of shit. though like, I can't say it. He's like she's a freaking liar. She's a freaking scumbag. Don't believe anything when uh, Nicole Malliotakis says. He just goes off. He's like he's like he's like when I was getting my ass kicked in Afghanistan or where is it when I was getting my ass kicked in Iraq. You know, what was she doing? She was trying to shaft you here in New York. He just goes crazy. I was like oh my god, this is a real congressperson. I was like this is the best guy ever. And then he gets all these other people are like, what's her name? Malliotakis. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, Malia is a liar. Malia is a liar. Malia is a liar. And was going, I was like, oh, my God, this is the best political ad I've ever seen. And it was, like, so aggro and amazing. And I was like, oh, man, I kind of miss local TV. So I know Nastasia loves local radio because she gets to hear, mm-hmm. like, you know, come to the church basement, get your sausage and pep, right? Like, that's why you listen to that's one of the reasons you listen to that stuff right okay oh, yes yeah. yes and so like to be able to see that on tv to see the local political ad with uh max rose trying to beat the crap out of uh out of the it was like uh it's great anyway um we gotta go all right so next week Nastasi will be uh well you're not are you in la or are you going to be near closer to covina no, 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 no. I will be in. Uh, I will be in L.A. You're not renting. You're not renting the house, are you?
2: I no. I rented a different house. Right. Are you in the hills, though? I'm not telling you. I say exactly in- where you're
3: going to say, but I'm trying to get a feeling. <laughs> I, right I am. This. I am
2: not in the. I am not in the Hollywood Hills, but I am in a canyon. Yes.
3: Oh. Oh. Are you doing the Laurel Canyon thing? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not in Laurel Canyon. Well, the thing is, like. Like, you know, whatever. We'll talk about it
0: later.
3: But, uh, next week. Uh, next week. <laughs> next week, we'll talk about how Nastassia is doing. Nastassia is going to have a different set of plants, a different set of people, different set of everything to be dealing with. Cooking Issues. Cooking Issues is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter.